Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Topic today is arriving on the scene, a son dies in an auto crash, and our guest is Chris Ford. Chris is a licensed professional counselor whose passion is to share the transformative power of the grief that she experienced with the death of her 16-year-old son, Stephen, in an automobile crash. With the death of Stephen, Chris's life, as she knew it, stopped. Memories and time are now marked by before and after Stephen's death. But grief and death aren't the final word in Chris's story. She shares with us a commitment to the process of grieving and the belief that our pain has the power to transform us. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Hi, Gloria. Well, I wanted to say where I met you. I actually met you in Texas at right. the um, IPSI program. Do you know even what it stands for? I can't remember. But the Institute, Institute for Paleo, uh, Pediatric Palliative Care. Uh, good for you. And our friend David Browning brought a lot of people together down in Texas to talk about pediatric palliative care. And Chris was there as a bereaved mom as I was. That's right. Very interesting. And so I, I heard your story, and it, it's really quite, um, I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I guess disturbing is a word for it, and, and something that I think our audience will relate to. And um, what could you tell us about it? Tell us about Stephen's death. Yes. Um, Stephen died, first of all, May twenty second, 1989. He was a freshman or sophomore in high school in Houston, and had taken off just for a normal day at school um, that Monday. And at about 3.20, I received um, a message, or actually someone came to my door, my best friend from across the street, came to my door. Um, Of course, I even forget that I was sitting at the computer working on some uh, work at the time. And she came in and she said, I think we need to make a trip up to the, um, on the route home from school. Jason, her son, had just gotten home on the school bus and had seen um, the accident immediately after it happened and was certain that it was Stephen's car. Uh And so, um, honestly, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, you know, I'm sure it's not him. You know, I'm busy, and she urged me, so finally, truly, just because I felt like if I said no, it wouldn't be a very good mom, so I got up and went, and we went to the scene of the accident and um, couldn't even get close enough for me to even see the car because there were so many emergency vehicles, um, life flight, um, ambulances, police cars, um, fire trucks. It was a horrific scene, and we were held back um, quite a ways from the actual um, collision place. And after a period of time, um, my best friend just sort of broke through the barrier and went to the police officer and said, look, I have what we believe is the mom of one of the people here in this accident. Please come talk to us. And um, he simply said, we can't even discern the, the car type or anything at this point. Please just wait. What agony. It was Absolutely. it was just horrible. Um, in fact, I I really believe I just sort of left my body mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in the in the agony of it. And um, we were lit there over an hour, 
um, waiting. And again, I just said I cannot stand this any longer. So she went again and brought the officer to me, who at that point then said, um, we believe there are three individuals involved in this accident and um, two of them are just about to be sent on lifelight. The third um, did not survive. Can you give me some description of your son? Mm-hmm. At this point, it's been close to an hour and a half now since I've arrived on the scene. And um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I had very difficult time remembering what Stephen wore to school that day. You know, we don't take note of those things when we don't know it's going to be the last opportunity to see them. And so I struggled somewhat, and so he began then describing to me the two boys who had been life-flighted, who clearly um, sounded to me as if these were the friends of Stevens that he often took to school. So then I began to describe other things about him that that I obviously could remember, hair color, eye color, and all of that. And and the officer said, "Um, I really believe your son is the one that is still in the automobile mm-hmm. who has not survived. Oh, my gosh. But he said, I cannot confirm that. Uh. At this point, we can't get to him. And at that point, he did invite us inside the, the lines of the area and had me sit in a police car mm-hmm. and um, took my friend um, closer to the scene where she could see the car. Wow. And she came back and confirmed to me that it was, in fact, our car. Now, you know, Chris, that's interesting because I'm sure you wanted to be the one to see it. I did and I didn't. Mm-hmm. I I can very clearly remember um, sitting there and thinking I want to be the one, but I literally could not make my legs move. I mm-hmm. couldn't get up and go. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And when she came back, she said, it's, it's your car. And the officer said, give them just a few more minutes and... Um, perhaps you will be able to get close to the scene. And, and of course, at that point I went kind of crazy because I said, perhaps, you know, um, there's no perhaps about it. I want to be there. I want to hold my son. I want to um, take care of him in whatever way I can. And I got out of the car at that point and began to really be pretty combative with the officers about allowing me to get up to Stephen and to hold him. And they would not let me get there. Mm. And um, I finally, with the help of my best friend, just said, look, um, I don't care what equipment is on him. I don't care how many tubes are in him. Mm-hmm. I don't care what he looks like. I'm his mother. Right. And I need to hold him. Uh-huh. And I just crawled underneath him. Um, mm-hmm. He was not even completely out of the car. And so they finally let you go. They finally let me up there, and I crawled underneath him and held him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and that uh-huh. moment is... is so tender and critical mm-hmm. to my process um, over the last years um, of being able to do what a mother needs to do, mm-hmm. right, which is care for her child, even if he's dead. Absolutely. That's so emotional. And wow. I, I am so glad that they allowed you to hold him. Oh, I am too. I don't know that they could have said no at that point. I was right. not going to allow them you know, to continue to tell me no. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I guess, something that I, I hope most um, law enforcement agencies today are beginning to get the message that we need to allow families in mm-hmm. to be a part, um, to do whatever it is they need to do at that moment. And, you know, uh, hospitals have found that they understand it now. I mean, people do freak out 
we do scream, they fall on the floor, they bang on walls or whatever, but so what? Right. That's what they need to do at that moment. Yeah, so what? And we need to hold people that we love. That's right, absolutely, especially mothers and dads, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sisters and brothers. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what about, what do you have to say for those people out there who weren't as strong as you are, who did let family members hold them back? Or I had one woman who actually had a picture um, to, took around of her son on a slab at the mortuary, and she, I mean, at the... Uh, at the police department because um, she was talked out of seeing him by her husband and she was still angry about it. What do you say to those people out there? Well, first of all, I think they have a right to be angry, (laughs) and I would encourage them to express that and to maybe take some of that anger energy and begin to, to do some work with their law enforcement agencies in a real productive way to help other folks um, not have to experience that. Um, and secondly, I think, you know, for me, some other aspects of my loss I've been able to deal with by using my imagination and some imagery in terms of, um, I mean, the fact that I couldn't talk to Stephen then and say to him what I wanted to say, I've done that in my own way anyway. Yeah, tell us how you do that for the audience. Um, well, I have imagined myself as I sat there and I held him. Um, and, and push back those little pieces of hair that were always in his eyes mm-hmm. and were once again. Um, and, and imagine myself saying to him all those things that I would have said had we been in a situation where I had the chance to do that before he died. Mm-hmm. And, and some people have said, um, well, I didn't get a chance to tell him goodbye and uh, you know, and that I loved him. And the thing is, they know that you love them. You've said it many times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think going into the, some of you can go into their rooms too and just hold their things or their teddy bears or their oh, clothing or their pillows and hold those, the things that they were so close to in their room. And oh my goodness, how many times did we do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, to go into his room and, and. And the smell of our children. Uh huh, lay on his pillow and, mm-hmm. um, even pick up those old stinky tennis shoes <laughs> <laughs> right. of a 16 year old boy and, and hold them and know, um, they're so much a part of who we are. Right. And some people have talked about doing things like writing letters to them. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've certainly done that. I think one of the things that was most meaningful for me was I, I have a, sort of a memory book that, um, because as a parent I was so afraid that I might forget some of those precious little memories that you have, um, particularly those you don't have photographs of. Um, and so I just got a spiral notebook, and I started whenever I would find myself being fearful about forgetting something, I'd write it down, mm-hmm. you know, in as much vivid detail as I could possibly write it down. And um, that helped a great deal um, to just be able to let go of some of that anxiety about forgetting. Um, and when people would begin to tell me a story about him that I didn't know because it was at an occasion at their home or something, I'd come home and write it down really quickly in that book. That's a great idea. Chris. And it's um, it's not only a wonderful book for me and for our family, but I now have a grandchild who's mm. named after Stephen. And uh. one day, a little Stephen will have those wonderful memories of his uncle. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Chris, there's so many. Uh, it's so vivid uh, when you tell your story about Stephen and going to the accident site. What about? Did you have any nightmares connected with that? I did. Um, for a very long time, I had um, flashbacks of the, the images of just the horrific scene when we arrived and of him uh, partially out of the car, um, a lot of flashbacks. And um, 
I was very fortunate that um, I was working with an individual who encouraged me to use a lot of artwork. I'm not an artist. I don't draw. I'm one of these people that, as it is said, can't draw a straight line with a ruler. But I have discovered that um, it is wonderfully helpful to do drawing, um, mm-hmm. even if it has no meaning to anyone else. And drawing that scene out um, and and redrawing it in the way that I wished it had been which, I like that. Um, was really helpful for me. Um, I've also done a lot of movement work, um, just sort of letting my body express um, the emotion of that moment for myself. Now, that's interesting. You could even maybe play some uh, music that you like mm-hmm. and move to it. Absolutely. Um, and that's been very helpful in kind of helping to remove that scene. Um, when you do the movement work, do you think about how you wished it had been or how it was or think of nothing or what do you think about How it was and then kind of move from there to how I wish it had been. Mm-hmm. So that I'm, I'm really creating sort of a healing path in my body when I do that. And, um, it's interesting because some of, some of what I did from the expressive arts standpoint were certainly directed work by the person I was working with, but, but some of it was things that were things that, as I just sat with the incredible pain and with the scene, I just allowed myself to experience the knowing that was in me as to what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. I needed to see that scene differently, so why not draw it, you know? Mm-hmm. I needed to feel the movement of um, a healing motion, not not this dead weight in my lap. So moving seemed to be the best answer to that. So it was really just sort of sitting with, with that in a way that um, was really listening to what I needed. You know, it's, it's interesting um, because... You have a sweet, tender moment, and and it, it's hard for people who haven't had this kind of experience to understand what a sweet, tender moment yeah. it was for you to hold your son. Yeah. But yet, around this is horrific, mm-hmm. terrible memory. So how how do we keep that sweet memory and still give up the horrific part of it? And I think again, I think it the the sweetness of it is that I was able to hold him. Mm-hmm. And I and through the changes that I've done in my imagery and my drawing and my movement, the holding is still there. Mm-hmm. The the you know, wiping my wiping his brow and, and kissing his forehead, those things are still there. I've held to the essence of the sweetness and let go of that which just was so horrific, his coloring and all so, of those so you know what I'd say to our audience out there is that this this is Chris Ford. This is 1989. If you've just lost a child or a loved one, you have the opportunity to have this in your life later on down the road, keeping the sweetness and letting go of some of the trauma. How long did it take you to let go of that trauma, Chris? Um, I would say that it was over a, over a process of about two years mm-hmm. of really hard work. <laughs> Um, and staying in the process, saying yes to that. Um, and I feel very fortunate because I had a, some, a supportive community of people who allowed me to do that um, and who really um, said to me that's important work, take time to do that. So when did you start, Chris, when did you start the art and movement work that you did? How, how long after Stephen's death? Probably about a month. A month. I love that you use those two things. Uh, probably about a month later, um, okay. I started doing some of the drawing. 
The movement didn't come until probably six or seven months later. But the drawing came pretty quickly. Um, and you did the drawing for about two years? Yeah. And I, you just saw your drawings transform over time? Absolutely. Um, Wonderful. I've held on to those um, and hold them pretty close to my heart. <laughs> you know, Chris, it's interesting because I'm thinking now, you know, we do compassionate friends groups and other groups. It would be fascinating to have people who wanted to um, uh, maybe do a sub- subset of people who wanted to draw and mm-hmm. not only tell their story but show their drawing as they mm-hmm. told the story. Absolutely. Or or not even show the drawings but but talk about that process of doing it. Mm-hmm. Because the drawings are great, but the process of doing it is as is as helpful as the drawing itself. And you can get so much out in art. I mean, if you're angry, you can just grab a black oh. marker and just and draw all over. And just really all over. Dark black and red drawings mm-hmm. of anger. Yeah. Well, I, I hear you telling your about your book of um, the good memories of Chris. I had a bad person book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, what? You had what, Mom? A bad person book? Yeah, you didn't even know it. I wrote that. <laughs> I had no idea. I had a bad person book where I wrote down all the things people said to me that I hated. Oh, oh I love that. Yeah. Oh, That's very my. therapeutic. That's a great idea. I had a little hate book. <laughs> the things that people said to you that weren't helpful. Yeah, exactly. You wrote them down. You wrote them. Yeah, I wrote them down, wrote down who said them. And, you know. I love that. And yeah. that we all have those, too. I mean, it's just amazing oh, yeah. that this... I'm sorry, stupid things that people say because they just don't know. I do. We wanted to take our call from our caller, Linda from Ohio. Hi, Linda. Hi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Linda. Thank you. Hi, Linda. Could you tell us a little bit about um, you you had a loss? Um, Well, actually, our family has faced multiple losses. Um, We've actually lost uh, four young people in the Mm. last three years. Wow. Uh, Um, My my only sister's uh, five-year-old grandson died in a horrible accident in May of 2004. Um, Just a month later, our uh, first cousin, who was only 34 years old, uh, fell down a flight of stairs and sustained a fatal uh, brain injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, (laughs) you know, this is just... Then in um, last year, in June of 2006, my sister's son, the one who was the father of mm-hmm. the, the five-year-old, um, mm-hmm. also died. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, then, I know, <laughs> then um, in February of this year, um, my only son, um, Stephen, also, his name was Stephen mm. also, um, was in a car accident, and mm. uh, he died as well. Wow. Oh, Linda, I'm so sorry. So, I mean, this has just been a horrible, horrible, of course, time for our family. Suffering one loss is bad enough, but, mm-hmm. you know, going through these multiple losses, we just, you know, it's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. But, <laughs> you know, we have, a, we have a very strong family, and we've all, you know, stuck together to try to work through this. Um, you know, it's like the grieving never stops. But you, you mentioned something that I thought was very important, even though we're all still early in, I'm still very early in my grieving oh, process, mm-hmm. is trying to do something with your grief. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, we attended, all of, actually seven of our family members attended the Compassionate Friends National Conference Wonderful. Uh, in Oklahoma City because uh-huh. we had been going to Compassionate Friends uh, meetings for three years now. So you were involved with Compassionate Friends before your son was killed? Uh, yes, I actually was my sister's support after uh-huh. she lost her grandson. We started attending meetings, and then, of course, you know, after she lost her son, 
went again, you know, even more, not ever knowing that I was going to be the next mother who lost a child. Oh, my. And, you know, the saying of you truly don't know what it's like to lose a child until you do, I, mm-hmm. I mean, you, nobody can understand it. Right. Well, there are a lot of biological aspects to losses, too, mm-hmm. that I don't think we are able to, we don't really access until we have the experience exactly. of any loss. And Did, one, one thing I wanted to mention is I talk about the Compassionate Friends. Um, it, it's such a wonderful group, but I, for my son, it, he was 33. Mm-hmm. He had a different last name from me, and, of course, you know, he lived on his own. He lived by himself, and it took uh, law enforcement over nine hours to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you're talking about being able to have those last moments together, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately my son was life-flighted, and I was able to spend a few hours with him, but I lost nine hours mm-hmm. that I could have been with him. Now, now did he, he was alive when you uh, got to him? Yes, he was just, I mean, he was, I could tell, I mean, his brain injury was so bad that he was being kept alive by, you know, extreme measures. Mm-hmm. So you feel that you lost nine hours? Yes, I mean, I, I know I, I did. And, right. again, it's not through any fault of the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I actually, not myself, but one, my niece who was with me at Compassionate Friends, um, met Christina Olson. I don't know if you are, any of you are familiar with her. She did a workshop at Compassionate Friends. And she began an initiative in Florida that allows individuals to put emergency contact information within their driver's license. Oh, yeah. Very good. That's wonderful. So that people, you know, you can find a loved one immediately after an accident happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm currently working with my law enforcement and BMV to allow the same thing. So wonderful. Good, it, you. good for you. I think that's what you're talking about, Chris, is yeah. to taking action. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do. There's just so little energy. I mean, I just force myself to spend a few hours and a day yeah. trying to do something. Do you find, Linda, though, when you're do- when you're in the midst of doing it, that you are energized by it? I am. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I am energized and feeling my son's spirit and my both sure. my nephews and my cousin. I mean, we feel them. Absolutely. Well, you certainly need to take care of yourself, too, and in those little ways, wouldn't you say, Chris? Absolutely. That's an awful lot of loss in a very short length of time for a family. And it's great that you're doing something yes. to um, to honor his name in the way that you will have. And you're going to have a lot of time to do more for him, too, and, and more to honor his name and more to help other people. I can hear that because you're just such a giving person so early on. Well, thank you. That is our goal, our entire family's goal. We want to make it... It's such a hard path, and anything we can do to help others helps us heal as well. That's right, it does. That's how you get transformed by it. But remember, and and for our whole audience out there, because some of them are in it the first day or the first week or the first month, the first person you have to take care of is yourself. That's right. Absolutely. You know, especially as women, sometimes it's very hard to do because Mm -hmm. we're always taking care of other people. Absolutely. (laughs) It's one of the first times I've allowed myself to be totally selfish, though. And Good for you. Good for you. I'd love to hear that. Well, listen, thank you so much for calling in, Linda, and take care of yourself and, and keep up the good work and, and keep us in touch and uh, write something about it for the grief blog, uh, what you're doing, and we'll put it on the blog. Thank and we'll remember Stephen. Yes, we will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, thank you. Linda. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Uh, so great. You know, people have these 
traumas and they and they figure out how to reach out to help others. Well, and the fact that she's doing this will will hopefully allow other people to say goodbye and it'll, it, other things won't happen like this again. Not have all that lost time. That's right. Yeah, I'm wondering too though um, when she was talking and Chris, you can speak to this as well. You know, sometimes maybe we do active grieving and we go out and might do something and we realize maybe it's too soon. Um, do you think, and, and we need to give ourselves permission to say, you know what, I'm not ready yet to give back. I need to take care of myself first. Sure. Yes, I do think that's quite possible. Um, and I, I do remember thinking of a lot of things I wanted to do very early on. And fortunately, I was able to catch myself before I jumped in. Um, but but thinking about them and, and, and wanting to do them to honor Stephen, but realizing that I just simply didn't have the energy. I was too tired. Well, I think one of the things, if you're working, uh, that you, I, at least I can just say for myself, I almost got overly compulsive about my work mm-hmm. in, in order I wanted to stay. I, I, you know, I was working so hard to keep it together that it was too tight. Mm-hmm. So. And I think, you know, in some ways, especially when you, if you work outside the home, it's so hard to be at home where where you feel that absence so greatly, you know, that as long as you can stay away and not have to face that dinner table with an empty chair or, um, you know, the lack of a child coming up and saying hi when you come home from work, it's just easier sometimes to stay away. Yeah. One of the things that I was struck by with Linda, too, is feeling that she had lost nine hours. How would we deal with that? Mm-hmm. What if you're feeling... And I've, she had, and she had, the reality is she had lost nine she hours. She did. Oh, yeah. She did lose nine hours. Yeah, she sort of did, but in a way you could obsess over that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but validating that that. Yeah, well, I like that, Heidi, yeah. Is, is I think, helpful because yeah. she didn't see her son for the last, even for the last nine hours. And I think you're bringing up a good question, Mom. How does she do a ritual? Can she do a ritual around that or art around that or movement? What can she do? To help herself heal. Maybe even just creating in her own head that sort of moving picture of what was happening during those nine hours with her present. Mm-hmm. You know, um, where would she have been with him um, during the time that that nine hours um, was taking place? And what would have been going on? And certainly one of the things that she could do, maybe if it's not too late at this point, is to talk to the paramedics or the people that were with him and find out what took place during that nine hours. I like that because, okay. yeah, fill in the nine-hour gap. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that because now it seems like a void. That was what was kind of I was picking that's, up on a void. That's the one thing I would have done differently in my life is I would have talked to the two people when Scott died, the two boys, the two guys that tried to help him, and I never did that, and I regretted that. Well, you could always get in touch with him now. Yeah, if I can find them. Uh, I think you might be able to find them. Uh, You know, we have some information on them. There were two um, people who were driving behind Scott and his cousin when the uh, car hit a wall and blew up and they burned to death. They tried to get him out of the car. So, uh, yeah, that might be it. I like that idea of filling in the gaps, though. I think Mm -hmm. that maybe that's what's important here, finding out where he was. That was very important for us. We spoke to the other two boys um, who Mm -hmm. were in the car and lived. Um, and, and actually have kept up with one of them uh, quite closely since the accident. Um, and it's been wonderful for us, um, even though Tim does not have a lot of memory about the last few moments before the accident. He lost that. Um, he does have memory of, of getting in the car that day after school and, um, 
the fact that um, he just can, can can fill in that piece where I can't be, I wasn't, you know. So, um, yeah, that would be a great thing for him. And the other thing I would think if I had more time to talk to Linda about it and um, is what does she think she could have done? Right. If she'd been with him. What she would she would have been doing. Right? Yeah, and maybe she feels, um, I could think of my, putting myself in that position. I, maybe I would feel like I could have made things better or could have done something. Or you said know? something to him that he might have known. Or yeah, heard. something like that. And and maybe just saying, well, she was able to see him now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Chris, I wanted to ask you a question because I know you have surviving children. Yes. Um one of the questions that, that we get a lot when we talk to grieving families is parents are really nervous about letting their other children drive, their surviving children <laughs> drive, and I didn't know if that was an issue for you. Before we get to that, I want to make sure we talk about quickly what you're doing now, Chris, where you are. Um, uh, you have a, a center for bereavement, right? Yes, I do. Um, it is called My Healing Place, and it is a place where families and children and adults um, who are dealing with a loss of any kind can come to receive support services and therapy. And um, it's a very exciting new project. And tell our audience where it's located and how they would get in hold of you. It's located in Austin, Texas, and um, we have a website. It's www.myhealingplace.org. And um, the phone number and contact information is on that website. Uh, my number is 512-923-4690, and I'd be delighted to hear from anyone interested. Great. Thank you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Okay, now getting back to the question about the driving, what about your yes. kids? I had to chuckle a little bit, Heidi, because um, both my daughter and our fairly newly adopted son um, have ha- had stories to tell about um, how protective we are. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, um, it has had great impact on um, both of them. Our daughter is now 30. She was 11 at the time that mm-hmm. um, her brother died. And when she turned 16, it was a huge ordeal for us to allow her to get in that car, and we bought her the biggest tank we could find. <laughs> Um, to protect her, um, and every time she went out, it was white knuckle. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I guess that's probably when we all got cell phones um, because we needed to be in contact with each other and know that we could um, know where everybody was at any given time. Um, over time, you know, that kind of anxiety. Now that's five years later, right? Yes. Just to let our audience know, that's yes. not unusual yes. even five years later. Absolutely not at all. So, so it sounds like even though you were very anxious, you you allowed her to drive. We did allow her to drive. You got her a very big safe car <laughs> and cell phones for our audience because this is this can be a real conflict and it, cause a lot of controversy in families. It is. And, and certainly um, we were... We had to sit and think a long time before we allowed her to go ahead and get that license at 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, our family joke was maybe when you're 35. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Humor is a good thing, right? right a mm-hmm. very good thing. Um, but we did go ahead and let her do it. We just did, a, did everything we knew to make her as safe as possible and make sure we could be in communication with each other. Mm-hmm. And even today, we have um, a 16-year-old son uh, that we adopted from Russia. Mm. Very good. And so, uh, is Chris Ford still on? Yes. Oh, you, uh, I thought we lost him. <laughs> He's about to get his license. And, uh-huh. um, you know, we're not near where we were, certainly, at that point. Mm-hmm. But he knows the story, and he has 
keeps assuring us, you know, that he will be safe and we don't have to worry. So it's even impacted him. You know, that's really interesting, Chris, because uh, Scott, uh, uh, my son, Heidi's brother, was not driving. And um, I was thinking, why didn't I have that issue? Isn't it interesting? Because he wasn't driving. That's right. You know what's interesting about that? I have that issue. You know, I only have a nine-year-old son now and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, um, but I am anxious. Even I feel like I'm going to be anxious when he starts to drive. Mm-hmm. Now, I've solved that problem by living in Manhattan, so he's not going to be driving. <laughs> <laughs> so you just have to move to New York City. No, but, but I have that issue. Isn't that funny? And I'm the sibling. I'm nervous. I don't think that's unusual at all. I uh, think it would be. And I, our daughter now has a son, and she talks about how hard that's going to be when the time comes. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Chris, it's almost time for us to close the show, and I wanted to uh, just give you a chance to give us any ideas or thoughts that you might have for our audience out there thinking that they may be newly bereaved, uh, their children were killed in many ways, may have died of an illness. Uh, do you have any thoughts for them? I think I would just say that it, it's it's a long process and and to be patient with yourself and gentle with yourself um, and your loved ones and your family um, who all may do it differently than you and um, to know that it will get better and that the process is an important one that does change us and it can be the good news that we can be richer, deeper people. Mm-hmm. Uh, very nice right. way to end the show. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, well, I'm Chris. I'm delighted to have been here. It's uh, been wonderful talking to you and, and getting your ideas and thoughts, and uh, we're so pleased with what you're doing moving on to help others. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.